Yeah, so we're on part two, and this one's about a fully human Jesus. I've, uh, as I've gone through this one, I found that actually uh, it was wise to break down, break apart, uh, looking at fully human Jesus and full deity Jesus. Because um, I think just in this alone, kind of for myself, I've you know, had those moments go, wow, I didn't really take that as being certain things important about Jesus' humanity. Uh, so I really hope that it uh, also speaks to you uh, as it's spoken to me. Um, but this is where we're going to look at his full, a fully human aspect of Jesus. Uh, we might cross over a couple of times, obviously, because Jesus is both human and deity. And so there's always inevitably a crossover in both our messages this week and next week. Um, but uh, we're going to focus uh, as much as we can on the fully human aspect of Jesus. And so what does that mean? It means that God came in human form to fulfill prophecy that the Messiah would come and die on the cross to pay for sin. And so why is it important that God came in human form at all? Why does that matter uh, that Jesus was also fully human? Uh, and for this, we have to go back to before um, Jesus, God himself, took on human form and look at the prophecies which came before. A uh, little bit of a, <clears throat> I would say, a Christmas carol service-esque beginning, uh, where we always go back to the prophecies of Jesus, uh, and then we use that to look forward. But this is important because it's a verification of the true Son of God when he does finally appear in human form. And what we know already is that Jesus was non, the non-created being part of the triune Godhead. That is three persons and one God. He's non-created because he was there uh, always, as God the Father is and the Holy Spirit is. Uh, and so we see this in Isaiah 7 verse 14. Uh, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Um, so many... I won't go into it, but there's so many different views uh, based on what um, what you believe about Jesus. Uh, Emmanuel is to mean that he is God with us. Uh, God with, I think there can be the other way around, God among us, I think is probably another term to describe it. Um, others might believe, unfortunately, that this doesn't mean that Jesus is God. It just means that God came down, created by God the Father, created and then came to earth. It's all kind of a little bit of a mess. If we follow scripture, it's easy just to follow scripture. Scripture says that Jesus is God. Uh, and so this is uh, what this verse is saying. It says, God is with us. God is among us. And so this was pointing to both his human birth and his divine nature. And this was written over 700 years before Christ was born. Uh, it has to be quite specific. All prophecies are very specific about Jesus Christ. They're not generalizations. They're not, they're not just things where a, a man will turn up and he might say this and he might look like this or he might say that. They're very specific and it's very hard to copy that prophecy to the letter. Uh, so many, it is understood that many people who came from Jesus' town, uh, Nazareth, uh, many false prophets came from there, many people pretending to be Jesus came from that place also. Um, poor place, poor area, and people came to try and use that as a way to maybe gain some credibility, as it were, um, some worship to themselves. But Emmanuel is the, the most important word in this verse, as you would probably guess, God with us. And it's the most direct and simple meaning that God will take on human form and be among us. 
And then, of course, we have the fact that a virgin will conceive and give birth to this Jesus. But let's break down a bit further and see how it all, all happens. Matthew 1, verse 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The conception of Jesus through Mary had one important aspect that does not match normal human uh, conception. It was important that Joseph was not with Mary uh, before she conceived Jesus. Uh, and this is an important aspect of conception because what must still happen in order for this baby is still God in human form and not just another human is that the effort cannot come through human effort. For the baby Jesus to be God and human, it must come by the supernatural work of God. Now then we ask the question, of course, why wouldn't God just create Jesus as a complete human, a complete human being in heaven, and then have him descend from heaven to earth without involving other humans at all? And of course, God could do that. God could create Jesus in his human form, as it were, not that he created him, but he could put him in human form and then send him down. Um, uh, but there's a problem because Romans helps us with this. Uh, Romans 8 verse 3 says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Had Jesus descended in human form, it would be very difficult to show that these were true statements. Jesus has no experience then of living a life as a human being. He has no way of knowing necessarily what we might go through as human beings. And so this has to be the case. It would be hard for us to know or to see even how Jesus could be fully human. And he would not have gone through the suffering, the pains, temptation of a human being. So he must begin as we begin in the mother's womb and then we're born. And then he goes through every single event a human being would go through. And this is where it can get difficult, isn't it? Because we're, we're talking about God in human form, and yet he will, he will go through life suffering in pains and, and struggling, as it were, whatever that means for a person who is both God and human. And, and this can get very tricky for us to understand where does maybe the human end and the God begin. And this gets, this gets a little bit tricky because what can happen is we can lose sight of the fact he's God and then we wander into the fact that Jesus could potentially sin. And I'll come on to that, why that's not possible, and how that all works. So he descended in human form. It'd be very difficult to show that the statements were true, uh, not gone through any suffering. So it's why it's important that God used the combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ. It would show that he is fully human by being birthed as a normal human would but would make him unique by the conception being the work of the Holy Spirit. So there's always a setting apart. There's always a point where Jesus is not just a human. He is God himself. Hebrews 4, verse 15. Therefore, we do not have, I have priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet. He did not sin. So, the purpose of Christ being birthed as a human uh, would be is so that from the beginning of his human form, he could attest to knowing fully the human condition from birth to death. 
But even in his human form, he was still able to be sinless or without sin. Again, in order that we can understand this, the Bible tells us that all human beings have sinned and morally, are morally corrupt and guilty of sin through the father of all mankind, Adam. And it's, of course, then think, well, how is it possible that Jesus did not inherit sin? Because he was born of a woman also. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 45 to 49 says, So it was written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after, the spirit, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as, it is, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So we bore the image of the earthly man. Adam as a representation of humanity, of the human race. And we bear this image of what he done. So whatever he done, we done. Whatever he committed, we have committed as human beings. And so being the image of this earthly man, this came through the line of our first earthly father, Adam, and he's known as the father of the human race. But Jesus was not born of an earthly man. Rather, his father was God, the father who was conceived through the work of the Holy Spirit, who conceived him through the work of the Holy Spirit. What it does not mean, and here is where it gets tricky, because you have to navigate these things because we've got different beliefs in different parts of Christianity and different parts of the church. What it doesn't mean is that Mary was free from sin. And that is a belief that is believed in churches, in some churches, that Mary was free from sin because she was able to uh, give birth to Jesus. But nowhere in scripture does it say this. Nowhere at all does it say that Mary was free from sin. It can only mean that the only way that Jesus was to be sinless from birth was not to have a human father, but a holy father. Luke 1, verse 35 says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called, will be called the Son of God. In other words, if sin is inherited through the father of mankind, Adam, and Jesus remains sinless, then the father of Jesus cannot be man. Does that make sense? This, this is why this has to be done. So let me, let me try and I'll say that again. If sin is inherited through the father of mankind, which is Adam, so he sinned, and then we therefore have inherited his sin, but Jesus remains sinless, then the father of Jesus cannot be a man. That is why uh, Joseph could not be together with Mary. So Joseph could not be together with her until she'd given birth to Jesus, until he was born. Does that make sense? Yeah? So this is how it stops. It's almost like the Holy Spirit is like this almost protection. So he comes in and he, he, he uh, puts Jesus, as it were, in, in Mary, and then there's like a protection, so there's no sin inherited because it's not a man and a woman through a typical birth. It's not, they're not, there's no conceiving through man and woman. Now it's, it's woman, but it's the Holy Spirit who comes in uh, and Jesus is there. And so the Holy Spirit provides that protection by which he, Jesus himself cannot be made sinful. He cannot inherit that sinful nature. And we know this in culture as well. We know this through the Jewish culture that it comes through men, comes through fathers. And so it is perfectly acceptable in terms of... Uh, not even a theory, but actually is true. But 
that it is to do with the man. It's to do with the father. And so Jesus' father is God, the Holy One. And it has to be him. Otherwise, Jesus is not the Jesus that we read in the Bible. It's another Jesus, someone who was uh, pretending to be him, maybe. Uh, maybe we look at it that way. The Holy Spirit's work in part was to prevent sin being transmitted to Christ, both from Joseph and Mary. And so what this means is that no one can claim that because Jesus was human, we too can therefore be gods. And you might find that a bit weird of a thing for me to say, but uh, there's a belief uh, going around many churches, uh, many churches saying that therefore because they make this weird leap that because Jesus is human and we are human, therefore we could also be God because Jesus started out as human and therefore is God and so we can also be God. It's crazy. I'm not making this stuff up, by the way. This is, this is rampant. This is rampant. And you will find this mostly in the US, but it creeps in in here as well because you're finding us that is, is it kind of, we're a very global world now, in a sense. I mean, it's always been global because it's a globe, uh, but it's global in terms of how we meet with each other and, and go and speak to people. We can access other countries very easily. So now we've kind of got this cross-influence, but it's appearing over here as well, this sort of ideology that we are little gods, that we are able to be God-like in, because Jesus is human and therefore it's weird logic walk that people make about Jesus. And so they say, well, if I'm human and, and, and he was human and he's God and therefore that means I can become God because he was human and I'm It's the strangest thing I've ever heard in all my life. It is a heresy, in fact. So no one can claim that. <clears throat> no one can claim that therefore we can be God because Jesus is also God. We are created in the image of God, but we are born of man and woman. And again, that's what separates us from Jesus. That's what makes us different uh, from Jesus. And understanding that Jesus was born sinless because he was conceived by the work of the Holy Spirit, who is God, means that if he was born sinless due to who his father was, it's easier to see how Jesus' whole human life was without sin. So maybe some, sometimes people stumble on the fact that whilst Jesus is actually alive and he grows up and he becomes an adult, people seem to focus on the fact that, well, he must have sinned at some point. He must have had an argument with his mum or, you know, he must have had an argument with someone, you know. The problem with that is you're, you're trying to strike in the middle we're not understanding the, the, the context to begin with. The context to begin with is that Jesus knows no sin. He's not able to be sinful because he has no ability to sin. And so when you ask the question, well, what, when he was growing up, could he not have sinned? And we'll, we'll definitely come on to this. No, he cannot sin because he knows no, not of sin at all. Just as sin cannot be pre in the presence of God, so Jesus cannot sin. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 to 21. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin. Maybe this is a similar example to what I had last week. If, if something is made to be something, it cannot be something else. Would you agree with that? If I had a watch 
Would he be able to cook my dinner for me? I mean, some might claim in the future that my watch might be able to cook my dinner for me, but if I, if I wear a watch that tells the time, would it be able to warm my food up and give me dinner? No, because it's not designed to do that. It's designed to tell me the time, and I look at it, and I don't expect my dinner to pop out the watch because it's not designed to do that. The watch is designed to tell me the time, not designed to give me a free course meal. It's made to be a watch, tell me the time as well as other things maybe Certainly today it was designed to do other than tell the time, which is a whole load of other stuff with smartwatches that I will not get into. Yeah, that's true. But your watch can't cook the food. <laughs> In other words, it cannot do something it was not designed to do. Jesus was made to have no sin, and therefore he cannot sin. Is that making sense? If Jesus is designed and made in the sense of his human, uh, fully human uh, aspect we're trying to be careful with the words here that we don't move into weird theology then and he's made to be without sin therefore he cannot sin going forward there's no possibility of jesus sinning going forward if no sin to begin with it cannot end up with sin and then you might ask well adam was made without sin right adam didn't have sin to begin with but there is a difference here adam is not god Adam is not a holy God. Adam is Adam. Adam is a human being who was given free will and free choice to make a decision whether he would obey God or not. And he chose not to. Jesus obeys the Father because he is God. He is made to obey God. And, but he chooses as a person to obey his Father. Oh, this gets complicated, doesn't it? But I don't expect that any analogy or any example that I give here will ever explain how the full natures of Jesus works. I can't, we can't really, by limited language and the way we understand things in our mind, fully understand how this will work. I also imagine that whatever he made as a carpenter, and I thought about this because Joseph was obviously a carpenter, I imagine that whatever Jesus made as a carpenter never went wrong. It, it couldn't have, right? Because there's, there's, some, there's a weird theology that you get into this because if he made something wrong, it means he's, he's made a sin into that thing. It's gone wrong because he didn't make it right. And then you get lost in like, oh my goodness, how does that work? I would say though that it still probably broke because someone treated it badly, because someone didn't use it right. So sin is not strictly in the sense of saying, well, did he have an argument or did he rebel? But sin in a, in a very subtle sense of, well, actually all his actions could not have led to sin. They couldn't have been something that would end up being sinful because he is in himself without sin. So everything he did, his whole being, is still about sinlessness, without sin. So then, Jesus comes through, <clears throat> but the birthing process to be fully human and now as a human body just like ours he went from infancy to childhood and then to adulthood luke 2 39 to 40 when joseph and mary had done everything required by the law of the lord they returned to galilee to their own town and nazareth and the child grew and became strong he was filled with wisdom and the grace of god was on him uh, later on 51 to 52 then he went down to nazareth with them and he was obedient to them but his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So Jesus, like any other human being, matured physically and mentally. 
growing in his earthly knowledge. He still was learning. He still was doing the things that a human being would do. He grew and learned as a human being. But then we might ask, why does Jesus have to grow in favour of God? If he is God, surely he is already in God's favour if he is God himself. And this is, of course, why we have separate sermons on these two subjects. This is why it's useful uh, to have fully human sermon and fully deity sermon, uh, not all, not together. We, have, we will have that at the end, but we need to separate them first to understand them. And so here is uh, how it works. <clears throat> As a full human, he still had to learn obedience to his heavenly father as a full human being and that he would do for the rest of his earthly human life even to the cross we know that because uh, we see in when he struggles he goes into the garden of gethsemane and what he does is he prays to the father and he's 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 stressed and he's sweating and he's in pain because he knows what's coming and so he he starts he struggles in his human aspect but knowing that it's going to have to happen so he still struggles with the human aspect of himself because he's going to have to go to the cross and die as a human being uh, at least to sacrifice for sin uh, hebrews 5 verse 7 to 10 says during the days of jesus life on earth he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In order that Jesus was made perfect, and this is an interesting uh, verse, once made perfect. In order that he was made perfect, he had to gain experience in being fully human. Because if he, has, if he dies uh, on the cross, and if he makes statements like, I know the pain that you're going to go, go through, that you do go through, Jesus himself has to experience that pain. He cannot claim to have experienced it without actually experiencing it. <clears throat> that would ready him not only for the cross, but would ultimately become the source of salvation for all who obey him. So Jesus had to become mature. He had to grow in grace of God. And that would only be experienced in him being fully human. What is interesting more so is that Salvation mentioned here is not the eternal rescue from hell, but the sanctification aspect of salvation. That is ongoing obedience to God. And so we see this, don't we, as Jesus gets closer and closer to the time he's going to go to the cross, he is, he is pushing into the Father in his prayer because obedience is the key thing he's going to have to push through with his fully human self. And so all these fervent tears, all these struggles, all these cries to Father, Abba, Father, all because he is experiencing what it will be like to die as a human being. 
And so it actually calls back to Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So in Jesus' journey, as being fully human, he still had to learn obedience as a human to his father. But he did so without sin. But so that we too would also follow this same path of obedience to God in our walk, just as Jesus did in his walk. For us, Jesus is all we need so that we may too live out the will of God in our lives. So Jesus being human in every way, but without sin means we have a God that is first able to empathize with our weakness, a human condition, but because of him also being fully God, we do not need to remain slave to that weak human condition in our spirit. So what came first was nature, natural. What came after was spirit. So how does he empathize? How does he know what we go through? Well, we know he's been tempted. Now then we have to ask, if he's also God, how can he even be tempted? How can Jesus even be tempted as being fully human and fully God? If Jesus' human nature had existed on its own, then he would have had a human nature like Adam, and so like us. So he would be free from sin, but able to sin. Does this make sense? This is what Adam did. He was free from sin, but he was able to sin had he chosen that path. He did. Adam chose that path. He chose to sin against God. Now, if Jesus is born of two human beings, he is just the same as Adam, and therefore he is able to sin. But Jesus' human nature never existed without his divine nature, and so we're united in one person. And so, of course, we see Jesus could get hungry, get thirsty, and he could also get weak. But Jesus could never actually sin, because that would involve his whole human and divine nature committing the act of sin. It's not possible. It's actually actually impossible because of who Jesus is. It's impossible for Jesus to commit sin because he is God. What it would mean if he did is that God himself would have sinned. And the implications of that are not worth even considering because God is without sin. God is perfect. God is holy. So it isn't possible because God is holy and perfect. So how can Jesus really experience temptation? When Jesus was tempted to turn uh, the stones into bread, the devil was speaking to his human nature so that he would use his divine nature. Maybe we only think of Jesus in terms of what he does empathize with my weaknesses. Here is the ramifications of Jesus employing, as it were, his divine nature in this moment. God sins. Jesus does what the devil tempts him to do, and he commits sin. Now, we can think about, well, I'm you know, tempted and I have days that I'm low and days that are terrible for me. But the ramifications of Jesus's decision, let's say, to enact on that temptation are far worse 
than what we would do when we sin. This is a holy God who would sin, and that's not what would, is going to happen or ever would happen or ever has happened. I'm worried now because this video online might be clipped of me saying God committed sin. He did not commit sin, never has done, never will do, just to be clear. But in effect, while Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, the consequences are exceptionally worse. And so if Jesus falls to this temptation that God sins and he would not have earned salvation for us, we know that Jesus had to learn and experience human nature in order that he would be salvation for us. So his experience of being tempted is not lessened by him uh, for being God. He doesn't experience it less because he is also God. In order to experience that temptation, Jesus refused to rely on his divine nature to make obedience easier for him. Again, that's just one example, but we can see when Jesus does pray to the Father, he is experiencing full-on pain of being God, divine God, but human nature and experiencing that pain of having to go to the cross and knowing what that means as a human being, but also fully God who knows he has to take himself to the cross. So his divine nature meant that he was never going to sin. It was not possible for Jesus to sin. But he did not rely on that strength of his divine nature to make it easier when it came to that temptation. That is why Hebrews 4.15 is absolutely spot on. He can empathize fully with our weaknesses because he did not use his divine nature to shortcut the pain and the process of what he went through in temptation. He fully experienced the temptation from the devil. So Jesus instead responds with this. Matthew 4 verse 4, Jesus answers, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then later, because he's both fully human and fully God and experiences every temptation and pain, he is able to say this, John 6, 26 to 29, Jesus answers, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. It is important that we accept that Jesus was fully human because our salvation depends on it. When John wrote his first epistle, many were saying that Jesus was not a man. This was the context of John's epistle at the time. Many were saying that Jesus was not a man. And this was known as doceitism. And it says that Jesus was not a man, but only appeared as one. And so there's this kind of a spiritual, Jesus was like a spirit moving around, looked like a man, but not a man. And he was a spirit moving around. It's a very weird belief system. Um, but yet John wrote that for that purpose. 1 John uh, 4, 2 to 3 says, this is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So you can see that John's writing to the people, the context of the time, because what these people were doing was believing that was it was almost like a shimmer. He was almost like a not a really like a ghost in, in a weird way. He was moving around. You could see him, but maybe you could feel him. You can touch him. There's all sorts of weird stuff going on during uh, John's time when he's writing this epistle. But here we come here. Where Adam failed, Jesus obeyed. And as a result was our representative when he went to the cross. If Jesus had not been a man, then he could not have died in our place and a penalty would be placed on us. But knowing that he was and did means that Jesus' humanity provides us with an example and pattern for our lives, safe in the knowledge that he was able to fully secure our salvation. We need to be careful not to underestimate the fully human Jesus as he is fully divine. Jesus came and he paid the price and he experienced pain and suffering as a human being, but the only human being who was also fully God who was able to pay for sin in the first place. The only way he was able to pay for it was because he's also God. So we need to be careful that we don't overestimate or give too much to the fully human and then overriding the fully divine. Jesus is both fully human and fully divine, and we'll get into fully divine next week. But it is crucial to know that Jesus knows our pain, and even more so than any pain we could ever suffer, not because he died on a cross, but because the implications of what it meant if he did sin. I'm going to leave that with you, and we'll pray and worship.